Happy Halloween. It's Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Late start for the Maple Leafs on a Halloween night, which has nothing to do with Halloween, I presume. 8 no. o'clock. Because it's an ESPN game. Yeah. It's on Sportsnet 590, the fan as well. But yeah, I, I assume there's nothing to do with no, I can't, Halloween. Can't imagine Hallow's Eve would have anything to do with that. Do you do you think it's weird? And I am I am not admonishing you for this like I did when you said good morning at the end of an interview with mm-hmm. Mike Rupp. But yeah. do you think it's weird that we as a society say happy Halloween? Like it's like ghosts and goblins and everything mm. is spooky. And it's like happy, enjoy it. I don't know. Well, like I it mean, rolls off the tongue. What There's is an the, alliterative nature. What is the alternative though? Is go, like Halloween. Go, go, go Halloween. <laughs> I have a, a spooky Halloween, yeah, I suppose. I could like, say that. I, I, again, I was not admonishing. I was yeah, just yeah, saying yeah. it's an interesting verbal tick we as a society have, have adopted. Yeah, I think the overall, I, it's weird to even call it a holiday because nobody gets it off work. It's like, a, yeah, I don't know. Is it a holiday? I suppose it's it is. Great, no. no it's is a, it a holiday? It's a celebration. It's You call it. Halloween a celebration. It's not a holiday. It's a celebration. Well, you're asking me what it is, and it yeah, feels way more like a celebration than it does a holiday. I feel like for for things that was, was super very jarring. <laughs> Thank you, Santos. Happy you're awake. It, it's Halloween. There will be nothing that happens to me that's scarier, scarier than, than that. that. <laughs> I'm gonna be awake by alarm. Santos, can you have me send? Can you send that to oh me my so that Lord. can be my alarm in the morning? Ding, ding, ding. Oh, that, that was, was jarring. Uh, I, I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> we, were talking, we were talking about the celebratory nature of Halloween, Ben. Yeah, no, it's not a holiday. For it to be a holiday, I, I feel like... It, yeah, I don't know. It's a thing that happens. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I need another word other than holiday. Holiday, you get the day off work, and if you have to work, you get like a loo day. You well, get what's... time and a half. It's not a holiday. Okay, so... Christmas holiday. Yeah, Remembrance Day, not a holiday. We do you observe? Is it is Remembrance Day? I guess it's not. No, it's not. It's not a. It's not a a sad. It's a whole thing about like should you be in school? No, you you know what? Remembrance Day, not a holiday either. Though you observe Remembrance Day. Yeah, but what what are you observing? Your thoughts and everything. No, no, I know, but like you're observing that Remembrance Day, which is what eleven eleven. No, I know, but you can't. You're not describing. No, what is the noun to describe what? No, Remembrance Day is what Halloween is. Now we're getting into nouns versus verbs and objects, adjectives. I'm running all the way away from this because unlike our next guest, I am not a journalist, so I don't want any part of this. Well, our next guest is a journalist. I know, Uh, and she is our insider. Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online. And in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It is ESPN's Emily Kaplan in town uh, for Leafs Kings tonight. How's it going, Emily? Happy Halloween to you. I'm great. I don't know. Is it a holiday? Or what are I don't know. Here? Help us. It. Please, we need guidance. What are you calling it? I think it's a holiday. Okay. I feel pretty confident saying that. All right. All right. I guess. I don't know. Again, to me, like you get you get you get the day off work when it's it's a holiday. So I, I don't know. I, I just I have issue with it. Um, does ESPN not care that we have to wake up at four o'clock in the morning <laughs> on Wednesday starting this game at eight o'clock? What they they don't they don't care about us? But they do care about our children that we get to take trick or treating now. So that's it's, true. It's not all bad. 
I get this from everyone. Every time I walk into a locker room and I know we've got a funky start time, <laughs> like honestly, the word Sidney Crosby. Anytime it's a Penguins game, he'll just look it up and he goes, "Why?" And we have to explain. Well, you know, there's a James Madison football game, or you know, there's something going on. But you know, it's always great to get hockey on our network in prime time. Um, so we're pumped for the game tonight. And apologies to Leafs fans who are a little unused to it, but. You know what? Whatever. It's like late night hockey. It's Halloween. It's a little spooky. It'll be fun. Yeah, I hope it's I hope it's not too spooky from a uh, Leafs perspective tonight. But I mean, this is a it's a pretty enticing matchup. You know, I mean, there's a million different storylines. You you can look at it. You can look at it as the Kings as the offensive juggernaut. I don't know that that's what people were ready for them to be, but that's what they've been this season. I mean, you can go back all the way to the bubble when Austin Matthews and Philippe Deneau had a had a battle in the postseason. There, that that's probably the thing I'm most excited about this matchup is seeing how the Leafs' top two lines are able to handle that three-headed center monster that the Kings have. Yeah, for sure. I remember that year in the bubble, and it was like Philip Deneau had created the blueprint of how to slow down Austin Matthews, and he was so frustrated. Um, and that was one of the reasons that the Montreal Canadiens had that insane run to the Stanley Cup final, which we'll all look back on and say, like, what? How did that happen? Um, but I'm with you. Uh, just you know, for the I record, Emily, was... I, I look back on it and say, what? No, no, it didn't happen. I have completely wiped it from my brain, but yes. I also am trying to erase a lot of things that happened in the pandemic, so I'm totally cool with that. Um, but, yeah, no, I think one of the stories, at least for sure, is just their big guys stepping up. Obviously, the start that Austin Matthews had to the season with all those hat tricks and then Nylander at his contract year just looking like a man on a mission. Um, but they're playing a very balanced Kings team. You know, I think the Kings' one weakness is that they're trying to do that Vegas thing where they're spending absolutely no money on goaltending and saying, like, hey, can this experiment work? But it can work when you're putting up that run support um, I'm curious of both teams defenses though like that's the that's the question there because I think both of them have question marks especially with injuries on the Leafs side yeah and no doubt about it and and the the Leafs um have a guy who's emerged as their number one goaltender who was not the goaltender that was in net for the six games against the Tampa Bay Lightning, allowing them to get through their first postseason series for the the first time in 20-plus years, and, and Joseph uh, Wool getting the, the start tonight. And the Leafs are off to a nice start, right? Like, there, there's nothing to complain about as far as their record through uh, eight games this season, 11 points, and picking up seven points in their 10 possible on that five-game road trip. But they still look up at the Atlantic Division standings and see the Bruins six points up on them. They have yet to lose in regulation. We talked before the season about the Leafs being the favorite to win the Atlantic Division. It's still so early here. But, Emily, are the Leafs still the favorite to win the Atlantic? Uh, it's tough. I mean, you look at that division and you see a team like the Canadians, and I don't know why I'm picking on the Canadians today. They're a lovely team. Go for like, it. They've got, <laughs> they've got five wins in their first nine games. Like, who would have expected that? Um, it's just a really competitive division. I think the Red Wings were the team that before the year, when I was talking to guys around the league, everyone's like, Ugh, I'm just not so sure that this is the year they're going to take the jump. I had them on opening night against the Devils. I was just shocked by how fast they were, how resilient they were. And since then, they've really taken off and look like a team that can make the playoffs. Had a bunch of Bruins games lately. You know, when they started off 5-0, and Jim Montgomery told us he thought that start with a bit of smoke and mirrors because he felt like their goaltending was bailing them out. But lo and behold, like, they're just finding ways to win. So I think when you look on paper at the roster, at the money the Leafs spend on their star players, at your expectation, their history of making it so far in the regular season and not getting through in the playoffs, they should be the favorites in this division. But it's just so competitive, and this is a league of parity. Um, I have a hard time handicapping it. 
Yeah, the the Red Wings are an interesting team because I was pretty critical of the moves they've made in in off seasons past because it felt like Stevie Y was trying to maybe supercharge things. You know, Andrew Kopp is not a player you typically sign when you're finishing outside of the playoffs. Forget how low the Red Wings were finishing, but now that these players are taking leaps, you have a guy like that, and it's amazing what type of infrastructure he can he can kind of provide to those around them. You know, we we talk so much about Matthews in this market and the place he holds here. I just wonder from kind of your perspective, you know, not to say that he's fallen off the bloom by any means. And, you know, I know you guys took a lot of flack for your list. We had wish on about it of Jack Hughes being above Matthews on the list, but what is Matthews place in kind of American hockey fandom or the story of the game? Because, you know, I understand Jack Hughes. He's right there in Jersey. They had an awesome season. He's also a number one overall pick. I'm just curious about the place Matthews occupies and how him being a leaf and playing for one, the, you know, one of the blue blood, franchises but also one that's outside of america how that kind of affects the the place he holds in the game yeah well as annoying as the start time is for you guys it's it's one of the reasons we it's probably the reason we have the least on prime time on our network because we understand the importance of showcasing austin matthews one of the greatest and most unique american success stories right like a kid from the desert with a Mexican mom. You guys don't need to hear this like a million times, but <laughs> we need to drill that. On. We need to drill that home to Americans. Like this is really cool. Unfortunately, the fact that he does play in Canada, there's just not as much exposure. We're always talking about the Bruins and the Blackhawks and the Penguins. Now the Red Wings are coming back. We need to remind guys like America, this is one of our own, and it's super cool. Not just that who he is and where he came from, but he chose to play for the Leafs, an original six team, and he committed to them despite their playoff struggles because he feels like it's his responsibility to help them get through. And, like, that's an incredible athletic story. We should be featuring that. Um, You know, we have the Pat McAfee show. It's one of our big um, splashes on ESPN. We paid him a ton of money to to hold down that afternoon time slot. He's been doing a great job of our network of, of carrying the torch for hockey. If you watch ESPN during the day, the biggest knock is these morning shows. Just They talk about the NFL and NBA, sometimes MLB, a lot of college football and basketball. Like, it's hard to get hockey in there. He's had two hockey guests on. The first was Connor Bedard, who obviously we're obsessed with. And then he had Austin Matthews on. And I felt like that was so significant that, you know, we're, we're giving him that exposure to a new audience. So all of this is saying, like, he's there. We understand it's a big deal. But you kind of need to put yourself out there and keep drilling at home. And Austin, you know, to his credit, he's a hockey player. And, and he's pulled back a little bit, even though he's got that interest in fashion, even though, you know, he's friends with Justin Bieber and kind of traverses through different worlds. Um, he's very much a hockey player where he puts the team above himself, um, and, and that's probably held him back in some ways, but he'd be okay with that if it ultimately leads to the Leafs Stanley Cup. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. There is something there with him, right, Emily? Like, if if he if we ever got a, a little deeper look into to the what it, it's like to be Austin Matthews, I think we'd be really intrigued and, and more than the average hockey player. And I know Connor Bedard has really, really done a great job of, of selling himself and selling the game and, and being open to, to doing interviews and you know, it, it's it, in in this market. It's different because nobody needs to sell themselves to, to Leaf fans, and they don't. Uh, no surprise here that yeah, the Leafs are kind of a, they're a close <laughs> shop uh, when it comes to to doing media in the city. But yeah, Matthews in particular, would he be doing himself a, a bit of a service if he was a little more open and, and a little more you know giving us a, a window into into what it's like to be buds with with uh, with Justin Bieber and live what I think is a pretty interesting life. Yeah, I mean, look, I come at this from a place of complete bias, but I want hockey players to put themselves out there more. Like, I am around these guys, 
they're awesome personalities. They're super interesting. They're funny. Um, I want to see that authenticity because I think it would sell the sport. Like I look at the NFL, which is absolute king, um, and the NBA, and the reason that they've grown to what they are is because it's a superstar-driven league. You know, we're always talking about the quarterbacks and the drama around the quarterbacks. Who are the quarterbacks? Well, the quarterbacks then go do a Netflix series called Quarterbacks, where like they show us inside their lives. And this year, like all of a sudden, everyone's talking about like how cool Kirk Cousins is. I'm like, what? Since when is he cool? Because he literally. <laughs> And he literally, and, and the reason he's cool is because he showed us inside of like how uncool he is as a dad. But like everyone just wants that connectivity, right? And so I do think if these guys opened up their lives a little bit more, um, we would see the sport grow. Um, if they felt a little more comfortable saying yes to endorsement deals and crossover pop culture things. Um, but again, it's just not in the DNA, especially the older generation. And, and Austin kind of defaults back to the older generation where I do think we're seeing Bedard, even though it is uncomfortable for him as well. I live in Chicago. Like I've been around it. Like I, it's not his number one priority to do media by any means, but he understands the obligation. And, you know, I think Marty Walsh, the new NHLPA boss is doing a great job going around to teams and educating them because in the past, guys have been taught it's selfish to do this, right? To put themselves above the team. And now they're being taught it's actually selfless and it's selfish not to do it because you're not taking care of the next generation or the sport and you're holding it back. Uh, forget about that. You're not taking care of the cap. The Leafs need it to go up just like exactly. every other team does. And yeah, you're you're so right. And it is funny with Matthews, like we've all seen it here as well, that yeah, there definitely does seem to be a little more there. It's just a matter of how much he, he wants to let in. And then, you know, like you, you mentioned him already in the interview, you have a guy like Nylander who is a character, but it's just so nonchalant that it almost doesn't play quite quite the same way. I mean, he's he's got his hair in cornrows in the summer. He's eating prosciutto. Like he is <laughs> one of these characters as well but you know it, again with it being a Toronto thing a Canadian team I don't know how much the of the crossovers there but I'm, I'm happy you bring up the the Bedard part of it all because you're right I mean uncomfortable I think is probably the fairest word to describe it and that's not to say he's not doing a good job with all of it with how much he's been pushed out there but it clearly does seem like it's it's not something that's comfortable to him and honestly the way I look at it is it feels like we need maybe a generation of that or you know generation is maybe too strong a term but a few years of this for the ice to kind of thought on that and players to feel more comfortable doing that because I'm with you I mean like we had it was the behind the scenes series of the Leafs here and you know what the biggest takeaway from it it was one of the guys in their front office saying they have demons under their beds everywhere Mm -hmm. you look there's demons like it just did not bode well for the Leafs but I think the league as a whole you're right it does need to get more comfortable with the idea of kind of kind of selling itself and from what you've seen do you think there is like a bit of a thaw happening there yeah and you know I I think it's uncomfortable. Um, you know, I, I've heard from veteran players and even coaches around the league of, of the treatment that we've given Connor Bedard. It's like, oh, wow, you're going to come here and cover us too. You understand there's other players. And I get it, right? <laughs> like, I get that cynicism because this is what the league is. It's one that we, we pride ourselves on competitive balance. And we have, you know, star players that only play a third of the night and, and they're crediting their teammates whenever they can. Um, but again, if you want export to grow if you want that salary cap to grow and the revenues to grow and if the guys don't want their dreaded escrow to keep uh building up um 
there's ways to do it, and, and it's go through putting yourself out in the media. And Connor Bedard is such an important player for this league. And, again, I live in Chicago, and I'm as guilty as anyone, right? Like, mm-hmm. I've probably interviewed him a dozen times already, um, you know, just from visiting him in Regina, Saskatchewan last spring to doing in-game interviews with him now. And especially in games, he's just one of those athletes that's so dialed in and so focused that it, it's – Kind of can be awkward because he just doesn't want to be there, but he's doing it because he understands he needs to. And I give that kid a ton of credit because he's only 18 years old and it's been so much and, and it's probably unfair what we're asking of him. Mm-hmm. But he's been so professional about it and that's so important to set that standard for his peers and now the next generation that we'll look back on him as one of the most important players in the league just from that regard. Yeah, and he's off to a great start and yeah. Before he even played a game, it felt like he was on the superstar level of of NHL player. It's it's very, the perilously few that are on that level. Austin Matthews obviously on that level. Connor McDavid, uh, Sidney Crosby is on that level. Maybe like David Pasternak's on that level. I wonder if William Nylander is is getting closer to that level. A pending free agent now has more points than Austin Matthews. Is only one goal back of him after Matthews starts his his season with back to back hat tricks. Uh, he's got a chance to set the franchise record for a point in nine consecutive games to to start his season. Emily, like, how close is is? Are we seeing the the superstar turn for for William Nylander? You know what? It's funny. I think we are. Like, I I I just think that it's so dependent on the contract of how we view him. And I know that's like the biggest topic that you guys have talked about for the last several months, and maybe for the next few months, depending on where this goes. But like, you look at his comparables, and it's like. Okay, is he a Philip Forsberg? He might be better than that. Like, is he a Panarin? Does he deserve that contract? Mark Stone, Landeskog. Um, so these are all the questions, you know, that you guys are curious about of where that number falls. But just from an on-ice perspective, he's a guy that's been so consistent, right? Like, he's going for the franchise record tonight of point streak to begin a season. Um, he, he looks like he's just enhanced all sides of his game. I would take him in that group of guys that I just mentioned. Like, I'd put him right up there with a Landeskog or a Mark Stone in, in type terms of driving for a team. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, where that number falls. And the other thing about him, though, is when it gets to the playoffs, he's been the one guy that has showed up consistently on this team. Nope. Yeah, there's uh, yeah, no debate about that. Uh, we'll see if he shows up. Tonight, uh, and sets a franchise record. Uh, Emily, appreciate the time, and uh, enjoy the city. Enjoy the game tonight. My thank yous to you and apologies to anyone from Montreal. I really, I do like you guys and your bagels are amazing. That's okay, all I got to part, That part I have yeah, to co-sign. Smoked meat. Yeah, no, smoked meat too. Yeah. There's other things in Montreal that's good. But see you, Emily. Yes, guys. Bye. Thanks. Uh, Emily Kaplan, ESPN. Uh, she was our insider. She was brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It's a great point about how we evaluate who the superstars are. Mm -hmm. We look at the cap hit. Yes. (laughs) Like, honestly, not even the performance. No. uh, Also, though, I and this group is dwindling. The faction is getting smaller by the day here. But somebody's uncle just careened off the road. Mark Stone, he's Mm. a two-way cup champ. And you Mm. just say there's. There were some people out there that did not like that comp, but guess what? I don't know how wrong she is. No, me neither. Very different players, obviously. Yeah, but man, again, like it's early days here, but it's hard to argue with the production and outside of the production, just how how dominant each and every William Nylander shift looks. And yeah, yeah, strong as an ox. (laughs) Scored the same number of goals as Austin Matthews a season ago. Like this is this is a building narrative. Around William Nylander, and obviously Austin Matthews is deserving of the headlines that he's going to receive sure. in a game that's on ESPN, but right behind him, I mean, 
Do yeah, I are you mentioning Mitch Marner well, as number okay, two in the, on so, the on the marquee, or is it William Nylander? Well, I think league wide, you're still going Austin and Mitch. Like I yeah. think that's still the thing. But that I'm happy you brought him up because and I'm not blaming you for this, but every conversation just leapfrogs Marner. Mm-hmm. Of hey, is William Nylander all of a sudden with Matt? And it's like why why don't we have the conversation about those two? Because for so long it was a civil war of oh Marner's better Nylander, and it's like there became a clear pecking order there. But I don't know that there's a died in the wool, clear as day pecking order among those two right now. No, and we are talking about a guy who had 99 points a yes. season ago. Like must be said. Rat. Yeah, but he's also scored 35 goals, right? Oh, like he, Totally. He, he, but I do think when you're talking about Nylander maybe having a 50-goal campaign, I mean, David Pasternak scored 60 yeah. goals, and we'll see if he can ever get, to, like, that is... A lot. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's quite a comparison. It's a once-in-a-career type number for most guys. Sure, Goal scoring is the most important thing you can do in a hockey game. Like uh, Mitch Marner at his best is unfreaking believable. The way he is able to control the puck in the offensive mm-hmm. zone, and well, and he's a two hundred foot player. Totally, the, the the stick on puck that he he has the ability in the defensive zone, playing in all situations, power play and penalty kill. Get that scoring fifty goals, different animal. If you're Completely. capable of that, that 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 does separate you from a guy that's able to put up. Almost 100 points. Almost. And the other part of it is that I think that, you know, the criticism of Nylander has been so over the top at times that I don't think anybody needs to replicate that. But if if the if the two players were just flipped, mm-hmm. if it was Marner who had the whatever point streak it is, it's going to set a franchise record, and Nylander had had the ho-hum start to the season that he had, it wouldn't be a, like... We wouldn't be having the conversation we're having right now surrounding Marner if it was Nylander. It would be a lot of panic alarms and, ah, this guy, he can't follow up the good year. And, look, I don't. I'm, no one's saying there needs to be that criticism of Mitch Marner, but it's very notable to me that it's not there at all. Yeah, and not that, yeah, John Tavares is an incapable player, but certainly there's more propping up of John Tavares that William Nylander is doing than Mitch Marner with yes, the greatest goal think. scorer in the yeah. National Hockey yeah, League. I would agree with that. All right, when we come back, um, Josh McDaniels pre-fired, loses again yesterday to the Detroit Lions. And what, what's happening? To, I want to get in on the tease too. And what's happening to Brock Purdy? Yeah. Well, and also today's the trade deadline in oh, the NFL. right. It's kind of significant. Are, are we going to see? Yeah, I'll just leave the teases to you next time. No, it's it's better. perfectly fine. It looks like Derrick Henry's not going to move, but that doesn't. that's not because the Titans weren't interested in moving him. Mm-hmm. That may have come from above uh, the executive level. We'll talk to Peter King of NBC Sports and Football Morning in America next. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. It's Halloween. That's like the headliner. Yep. Just right below it, though. Okay. NFL trade deadlines. Eh, today. Flip them. <laughs> Gotta be honest. Yeah, all right. It's both things. Well, it's one thing before the other thing. That's right. That's okay. why I flipped them. Yeah. And because one actually matters. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk to Peter King, NBC Sports and Football Morning in America. Happy Halloween to you, Peter. Hey, uh, you know, I feel like I must be a person of a certain age because, uh, you know, I, I celebrated Halloween as a child before adults spoiled it. 
<laughs> you know, and, you know, when I was growing up in Connecticut, uh, the adults sent the kids out and said, hey, come back with bag, a bag full of candy. See you later. And today it seems like the adults have as much to do on Halloween as the kids do. It's been sort of sort of a co-opted holiday, you know. You're speaking my language, Peter. I I am wholeheartedly on board with this. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. We work in a newsroom here. There's an adult wearing a chicken suit onesie at their job right now, Peter, okay? <laughs> it's a little overkill. Let the children enjoy it, but I'm just, I'm so happy to hear you say that because I could not be more in lockstep with you, Peter. Yeah, I had to get that across, and I'm sure that everyone in Ontario is so pleased to hear me trash adults on Halloween. <laughs> It's okay. That makes two of us, Peter. Uh, yeah. I guess I shouldn't mention that I also have a, a, a skeleton mask. In I the, told in them to bag. put it away. All right. Yeah. Okay. I'm not wearing it now. Um, <laughs> it is the trade deadline, though, and there's some potential massive moves afoot, although it feels like Derek Henry is, is not going to be on the move and, and maybe that, that coming from above the executive boardroom. Like, do you, do you expect something of significance before 4 o'clock today? Uh, yeah. I think... What has happened in the NFL over the last, I would say, ten years, five to ten years, with younger general managers and more aggressive general managers coming on board, um, yeah, they they are less inclined to say, "Oh boy, there's so many problems with making trades. We don't want to make any trades." And you know, Howie Roseman is chief among them, the Philadelphia general manager. Uh, you know, he's become very aggressive. And I think, I mean, the reason I I think that Derrick Henry wasn't traded is that, uh, you know, Mike Vrabel does not want to give up on this season yet, even though this is probably the last 10 games Derrick Henry will play in Tennessee. They're not winning a Super Bowl this year. They probably could have gotten a day two draft choice for him uh, had they been willing. And this team that needs day two draft choices, because right now Tennessee is only going to have two picks in the top 110 of the draft next year. This is a rebuilding franchise. In my opinion, Tennessee should have bit the bullet and traded them to somebody with Baltimore, Dallas, whoever, uh, that would have given him a third-round pick and maybe taken some of his salary, be that as it may. I think what you're most likely to see today is there's a couple of cornerbacks on the market uh, who I think will move. I think that at least one of the Washington defensive ends is going to move, Chase Young or Montez Sweat. Um, so we'll see. But I expected, I mean, there were, I think, 12 trades last year in the last 24 hours before the deadline. I, I think you'll see, you know, I, I don't think you'll see that many, but I think you'll see a few today. You you just highlighted a move that, that I think would be very beneficial to the team in, in Derrick Henry there. But is there a contender that you think has to make a move? I mean, where my mind went when you mentioned the possibility of defensive backs getting moved was the 49ers picking up someone to help with their pass defense. Yeah. But of the contenders, is there somebody you feel like has to be maybe more aggressive than, than others today to fix a weakness? I think there's two teams that I would have in mind um, when you talk about trying to fix a weakness. Okay, number one, I think 
if I were the San Francisco 49ers, I would look for help in the secondary. Uh, that's number one. And number two, and, and look, I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to scope out things that they're going to try to do. <clears throat> but I also think that I could see the Kansas City Chiefs going out and either trying to get uh, a receiver in this in this crop because I still think even after getting McCole Hardman uh, that they still are shy in the playmaker department. Uh, and I also could see Kansas City going and getting and chasing a cornerback as well. I would, I guess, I would say primarily that I think the best talent right now available today uh, is on the edge. You know, with some of these edge rushers out there that I think you could have uh, without really uh, pillaging your draft next year. Uh, and the best two, I think, on the market right now are, are Montez Sweat and Chase Young. I know Chicago is interested uh, and, uh, you know, in Chase Young, and there will be others interested today in investigating that if they aren't already doing so. Yeah, for for a number of weeks leading up to this deadline, we were talking about Kirk Cousins being the the target yeah. of of uh, you know well the New York Jets maybe you know grabbing him as a stopgap before Aaron Rodgers returns, and obviously Kirk Cousins goes down with the Achilles, and the Vikings are back in it in the NFC North. Um, I mean, just just in an overall sense, though, Peter, acquiring a quarterback at the deadline that it 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 makes a lot of sense on paper, right, for the Vikings to go out and acquire somebody who can fill in for the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, can, can, how realistic is it to expect a quarterback to acclimatize themselves to a new franchise and a, and a new game plan and a new offensive coordinator in the middle of a season? Well, I think the easy answer or the knee jerk answer would be to say that if you're going to trade for a quarterback, that quarterback is going to need two or three weeks, absolute minimum to be able to know enough of your offense to play. So why would you do that? But I think if, if I'm if, right now, what I would do if I were either uh, the Minnesota Vikings and look, the Jets aren't going to do it. They're going to sink or swim with Zach Wilson. And they are the luckiest team on the face of the earth after uh, Wilson made two plays after having a horrible game. Uh, Wilson made two plays at the end to uh, to allow them to beat the Giants the other day. But I think there's a very interesting guy out there. His name is Josh Dobbs, plays for Arizona. He's going to be demoted this week, uh, and he will soon probably be the number three quarterback in Arizona. And what is interesting about that is that when Josh Dobbs went from Cleveland to Arizona, uh, with about 10 days left in the preseason, he learned enough of the offense to start right away. And the first three weeks of the season, Arizona was dangerous. Beat Dallas at home. Uh, Dobbs was playing very well, and he's fallen to earth since then. But he is the one guy, and, and this is a weird thing to say. It's almost like a non-sequitur. But Josh Dobbs, when he was a kid, wanted to be one of two things when he grew up an NFL quarterback or an astronaut. This is one of the smartest <laughs> human beings 
who has ever put on pads in the NFL. And to think that an offense would be hard for him to learn in a week or so, that's why it will not shock me if we see Josh Dobbs going to, let's just say, Minnesota today. It won't shock me. I don't know that there's anything hot right there, and I do think Minnesota is going to get a quarterback uh, either on the street or in trade uh, in the next day or two. But I think that is one to watch. What will Minnesota do with quarterback after losing Cousins for the year? Because I can tell you, I know this, they do not think their season's over. I mean, they've been 3-0 and without Justin Jefferson. So they they want to, and they are not, the NFC definitely is going to have a playoff spot or two up for grabs. So I, I think Minnesota is really going to try to salvage this season. Yeah, and if Jefferson comes back, what better uh, what better safety net for uh, whatever quarterback you're working yep. in? And yeah, I saw as soon as Dobbs got demoted there, a lot of people uh, connecting the dots there. And yeah, clearly he doesn't have any problems uh, doing his homework. He doesn't need the Kyler clause in in his contract there. Uh, look, looking <laughs> looking ahead to, to Sunday, Peter. I mean, it's not often we can say this, but the center of the NFL world will be in Germany. 9.30 on Sunday morning, right. Chiefs and Dolphins. That is far and away the game of the week. It feels like, you know, we were talking about this last week, that we've had problems even this deep into the season of there's been so many weird losses by good teams that were having trouble stacking things up. This is as good a head-to-head, best-on-best matchup as we're, we're going to get. What do you expect to see in that game, and what do you think the results will tell us about either of those teams? Well, there's a couple things. First of all, your faithful correspondent is going to be flying over to Germany for that game (laughs) and working it for NBC. And we got so kind of excited about this game because really, you know, the NFL has played now 43 games um, internationally, 43 regular season games. And this far and away is the best game that there has been, uh, you know, overseas, both by winning percentage and sort of kind of sexiness with Patrick Mahomes against Tua Valoa. But I think the interesting thing about this game is that the NFL basically put the Miami Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs in a game at 9.30 in the morning Eastern time knowing that it had a very, very good chance of doing BAFO ratings and taking it away from both primetime and the late afternoon doubleheader window when the numbers would be so much higher. So, I mean, look, if you're a 9.30 in the morning football fan, it's it's going to be kind of a cool Sunday because now you go 9.30 in the morning – and you go all day, you go Dallas, Philadelphia, late window, uh, you go Seattle, Baltimore, early window, and then at night, you go Buffalo, Cincinnati. I mean, it is, this, this will be, this will be uh, the best day of football of this season, I think. Um, so I, I, I'm really looking forward to it. And I, I also think that, you know, the NFL understands now that you really just can't put a bunch of uh, mediocre teams 
uh, and expect to get the results that you want in the international game. So kudos to them for, uh, for making a matchup that is going to be great to watch. Yeah, I'm sure there's some people that are displeased, though, right? Like, this is a Chiefs home game that they don't get to play at Arrowhead. I mean, is this, yep. is this, is this the first of many? W- will the blowback be significant? Like, w- what is the fallout of, of this being so significant? I think there's a lot of upset people in Kansas City, especially because Tyreek Hill was such a huge part of their Super Bowl championship. Uh, and And I think they feel like... We wanted their first Super Bowl championship, and they wanted uh, the drama of Tyreek Hill coming back to Kansas City. So I think there's a lot of people that are unhappy about it. However, one of the things that the NFL has been as careful as they can be uh, when they put the schedule together is this year there are nine home games for AFC teams. All right, there's eight home games for NFC teams. So this year, you're going to see two AFC teams being the hosts of games in Germany, New England and Kansas City. Next year, there's going to be one NFC game uh, in Germany, and I suspect very strongly that it will be Carolina being the host team, an NFC team with nine home games. And Carolina is one of those franchises that has chosen global rights uh, for uh, for Germany. The NFL has this deal now where they have uh, all of their teams choosing countries to sort of plant their franchise's flag in. Kansas City, New England, uh, Tampa Bay, and, uh, uh, and Carolina are four of the teams that have planted the flag in Germany. So that's why you're seeing them be this way. And look, hard to complain, honestly, if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan because you've got Philadelphia coming to Kansas City. You've got Buffalo coming to Kansas City. You've got Cincinnati coming to Kansas City. Uh, And also you had uh, Chicago where, you know, you and I could sit here and say, Who cares about the Bears? But the fact is, in the Midwest, uh, Chicago coming to town is always a big deal. So they had a really, really good schedule anyway. And losing one of their prime games, I can't get too upset about it, seeing what else they've got coming to Kansas City. Yeah, they've got Patrick Mahomes. That's fine. They don't need to complain about about anything. It all comes out in the wash when you have Patrick Mahomes and and Andy Reid. You mentioned the Sunday nighter that we're going to get. You know, uh, uh, any other time, I would think Bill's Bengals would be the sexiest game, but it is not sexier than than Chiefs-Dolphins. But, man, that is a massive one for playoff implications, for kind of pecking order among the AFC. Obviously, the Bengals have been rolling. The Bills did get back in the win column last week. What are you expecting there? And then, again, just the, the implications from that game feel massive for the AFC playoff picture. I, I watched the Cincinnati San Francisco game, wrote about it this week in football morning in America, talked to Joe Burrow after the game. And one of the things that the sense that you got from Joe Burrow, look, he is the most nonchalant, uh, uh, you know, un, um, he's not going to be controversial when he, when he talks. But 
I've talked to Joe Burrow enough to know that when I hear him say, hey, we're really on the right track. I like where we are. I like what we're doing. Joe Burrow is not, even though he still feels the calf injury, he's not really struggling with it anymore. He was brilliant. You know, with Joe Montana in the stands and or in the in a box and the 49ers celebrating a couple of their old Super Bowls, he was absolutely brilliant in that game. The best single player I thought in the league this past weekend. And, you know, I, I think Cincinnati is rising at a time when Buffalo is really struggling. And, and look, you know, I think at some point, at some point, we have to acknowledge the fact that Buffalo, especially on offense, is just not consistent enough and isn't protecting Josh Allen and giving him enough time to be the dynamic, explosive downfield thrower that they want him to be. So, I, I mean, I kind of like Cincinnati in this game, although every time Buffalo enters a stadium, I, I I can't get 48 to 20 over Miami out of my head. Mm-hmm. And so I I still think that can happen. But the fact is, we have seen the last four games with them post Miami, post, you know, walloping Miami of being just very, very meh as a football team. So I, I think, I think they're going to really have to up their game and protect uh, Josh Allen to be great Sunday night. Yeah. It wasn't very long ago that we were talking about the bills being the, the best team in all of the NFL, but that feels like a lifetime ago. And it wasn't very long ago. We were talking about the Bengals being, yeah, not just a healthy Joe Burrow away, but maybe some real problems there. They're right back to where I think most people expected them to be perception wise in the AFC. I, okay. The, the, the chiefs lost to the, the Broncos with a, a, a Patrick Mahomes that wasn't at hundred percent. I think that's still the number one thing that I I'm sure about in the NFL, but I'm getting closer on, on the Eagles and, and my certainty on, on them being the top team in the NFC. Although you look at the upcoming schedule, Peter, holy cow. Dallas yeah, this week, yeah. bye week. Kansas City, Buffalo, San Francisco, Dallas again, then Seattle before wrapping up the season with the Giants, Cardinals, and Giants. Like that, that feels like, boy, if they get through that stretch still with one loss, then there's like, it's unassailable that that's the top team in the NFL. Look, I mean, Philadelphia right now, uh, is going to have the hardest time over the next six weeks. Uh, n- not to say they're going to go two and four, but you know they're going to have a tough time over the next six weeks. Um, I guess what I would say about Philadelphia that I think you have to be really careful about right now uh, is how healthy is Jalen Hurts going to be? Is he going to be able to be the mobile quarterback that you want him to be, really, that you need him to be? Um, it's clear that he's having some knee issues now, um, you know, with his left knee. So we'll see how that goes. But, you know, what I find really interesting, I wrote this in my column this week that A.J. Brown is on a better six-game stretch than Jerry Rice ever had in his career. Crazy. And, you know, it's right now when you watch A.J. Brown play football, you're, you're obviously you're going to be able to bat a few balls away and do all this, but just watch his contested catches. Watch how difficult he is to stop because 
he got doubled the other day by Washington, and the ball was up for grabs, and he not only got the ball, he physically uh, knocked the other two guys off the ball. And I think he's the most dangerous offensive player, non-quarterback right now in football. So as long as A.J. Brown can stay healthy, can stay upright, uh, I think it's going to be very hard to beat Philadelphia. Yeah, it has been so far. Uh, Peter, always appreciate the time. Enjoy Germany, and not Halloween. Okay, yeah, thanks, guys. And I'll be back. Ba- I'll be back. I'll be back in Brooklyn next Tuesday, so I'll give you a full report. All right, sounds good, Peter. See ya. All right, there's Peter King, NBC Sports Football Morning in America. The fine folks in Germany get a doozy. There's a log jam. A doozy in Dusseldorf, if you will. I think that's actually where the game is. I think it's at Frankfurt. But yeah, it's a log jam atop the the AFC is like the Ravens yeah. or everybody's six and two. It's the Ravens, yep. it's the Dolphins, it's the it'll Chiefs. Be, it'll be the Bengals after they beat the Bills on Sunday. Uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, like look, look, look. I know a lot of Bills fans. Don't take it up with me. Take it up with the collective down in Buffalo. And then the, the Jags are there too. And the Jags have beaten the Bills already this mm-hmm. season. All that was the the London game. That was kind of the start of all this it this really conversation was. for the Bills because. And and that one I, I forgave because London. the Bills were traveling, the Jags were sitting there for yeah, a week waiting for residents, them. Yeah. And then they came back and barely beat the Giants. But that was they were that entire Bills team coming yeah. off the trip to and then losing to the Patriots. Yeah, That's when they, bad. <laughs> yeah. That was bad. That was just bad. I mean, it's it's hard. They not... could have played that game on the moon and they yeah. wouldn't have had an excuse. Well, I mean, already going into this season, they were obviously I, and I shouldn't say obviously because they beat the, the, the Chiefs during the regular season last year and we never got to see them in mm-hmm. the redux in the postseason. We saw them. Why have is a, that? Oh, right. They yeah. lost. Yeah. They got destroyed yes. by the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm-hmm. And who knows how differently the season plays out if, yeah, they're allowed to play that regular season game against the Bengals. and then Sliding maybe doors, se- for sure. Dude, secure the, the bye in the, in the AFC. But now it's hard not to think about the Bills as like, and I know they've beaten the, the Dolphins, so it's weird to say this, but like Dolphins, Chiefs, Bengals, Ravens, I'm still not willing to put the Jags up there. But then no. like the Bills on that second rung, maybe with the Jags. That Dolphins-Bills game feels a thousand years ago. They've also lost Matt Milano and Trey White since that. Yeah. That kind of impacts things. But it's more the offense. That I, I know, but you're it must curious be curious about. Yeah. Yeah. And no. by curious, you mean uncertain. I'm not curious. I know that I'm going to go, oh, that's not good for half the drives they have on any given day. Yeah, you're right. But you're curious as to, to why exactly it's not working out. Yes, very yeah. much so. Yeah. Uh, I did also want to throw this out, uh, talk about non sequiturs, because this will shock you. I'm going to drag us back to the ice. I was, I was looking at some goal odds for tonight. Yeah. Trevor Moore, uh, plus 325 anytime goal. That feels... Yeah. Carl Grundstrom's there, and I imagine you get some super long odds on that, but let's not get greedy. Trevor mm-hmm. Moore... Signed to like a six-year, $4.2 million deal that he never would have got here. So no. good on him in, in Cali, his home province, and or his home uh, state there. I'm just such a canuck it hurts. But yeah, three tw- plus 325, yeah, go jump on that, people. Yeah. I, I miss I, Trevor Moore. And Trevor I, Moore's a good player. Yeah, good. fast, quick, the exact type of bottom six guys you just can't pay. And again, he makes $4.2 million a year. <laughs> so remember that when you're looking at him tonight. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good context. Very good. Mm. All right. Uh, Leafs and Kings tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. We'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Morning Show. Ben Anders, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Good, good morning. morning.